1: This week, the bookshelf cinema is screening A Most Wanted Man, Chef, Obvious Child, Boyhood, and More. On Saturday, August 23rd, author Marissa Stapley is in the bookstore at 1 p.m., reading from her new book, Mating for Life. The bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Well, I'm accustomed to the
2: Creative Control with
1: Vish Hey, sorry I didn't do a show last week. I was busy. Did you Did you notice? I got a couple of people telling me they noticed. I just didn't do any episodes at all. I was in Toronto for a work thing, and I just couldn't couldn't do it. But while I was there, I did meet up with someone to do an interview for for this week. So that's that's something. Dave Ulrich is on the show to talk about Zunier.com. This is a thing he founded like ten years ago. It was one of the first digital music distribution services, kind of geared in this case towards Canadian independent music, but it's blossomed into a wonderful store, digital store. It's also a, a record label. It's, it's still going, you know, other things have come and gone, but it's still going. Dave was also in the Inbreds, a band that meant a lot to me, so yeah, it's just good to chat with Dave and, and have a conversation while, while we were in Toronto there, and... Uh, that's what you're going to hear And you're going to hear uh, music from the brand new tribute to Junior And some of the artists that have records for sale there The tribute is by podcast alumnus Tony Decker of the Grey Lake Swimmers He did uh, a bunch of songs So you're going to hear one of those So that's the show Dave Ulrich He's a good man Check it out
2: Writers' Festival is gearing up for its 2014 program, which runs September 11th to 15th. Both in the city of Guelph and just 10 minutes east in the beautiful village of Eden Mills. Confirmed authors and musicians
0: include Eleanor Catton, Lynn Cody, David Adam Richards, Miriam Taves, Ann Michaels, Heather O'Neill, Terry Fallis, Scott Merritt, Sandro Perry, Sean Michaels, Carl Wilson, and many more. There's also the Hundred Story Wood Workshop, which unites Canadian authors and high school students. For a day of writing on Monday, September 15th. For more information and to purchase tickets or sign up for workshops, please visit Eden Mills Writers Festival.ca.
2: So we're at Allen's Pub on the Danforth, and I live just down the way. And the thing about Allen's is it's just one of these places that's been here forever. And one of the things about Toronto, you know, maybe compared to New York, has these these hole-in-the-wall restaurants, pubs, that have been there forever. Allen's is kind of like one of those places for Toronto. I wish in some ways Toronto had more of them. But one of the things about coming here is, Gord Downey lives in the neighborhood, Gord Downey the Hip lives in this lives neighborhood? Lives just around here. And one of the very first times I remember coming to Allen's when I moved here, he was just sitting over there with his wife, and uh, somehow he had a nice low profile in Yeah, here. Very, yeah. very low profile. And I was very impressed. And he said, hey, that's Gord Downey. He walked up, and I said, uh, hey, Gord. And he re- you know recognized me right away, and he even recognized my wife. Who, oh, wow. who goes by the nickname Hawk, and he says, hey, Hawk, like that. <laughs> right so <laughs> nice yeah he's a kind man and,
1: I, and you you know no offense to you but you, I mean I was gonna say you're a memorable guy but you your
2: band the inbreds actually played with the hip a bunch we did uh, a bunch of times quite a few times and plus it was like the Kingston connection right? yeah right so at some point they I can remember in our earliest days we had a friend that worked at uh, Sam the record man and I remember she told us. You'll, ne- you know, you'll never guess who came in and bought your album today And this was a long, long time ago And it was Downey bought our very first CD At Sam the Record Man in Toronto oh, That's wow. our very first connection point to those guys Oh wow, Yeah,
1: that's pretty cool Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing is We learned, for those people following this podcast And interested in Inbred's lore We learned on the Mike O'Neill episode You guys aren't really from Kingston A lot of people thought you were from Kingston
2: But you, you just went to school there so now you're going to give me another segue, which is, yeah, we Mike and I both grew up in Oshawa. Right. And um, it's because when we w- we went to school in Kingston, and I'd say the inbreds are from Kingston because that's where we started playing, and that's where everything kind of got off the ground. There was clubs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, um, one of the first times I ever met Wayne Petty from Cuff the Duke, uh, he, he had some comments about the fact that, um, you know, Cuff the Duke are from Oshawa. That's right. And I guess he heard that. Yeah, I think maybe at the time when maybe when he was a bit younger, he, he didn't like the fact that we didn't say we were from Oshawa. I can remember Mike, you know, Mike and I had some, we thought about it a lot. Do you know what I mean? We thought about what we, what we should be saying, but we always, I think technically we come from Oshawa, you know, came from, out of the womb in Oshawa, but I think the band was very much a Kingston band. I And, see. and, and to this day, I still think in some ways the Inbreds are a Kingston band because everything we did came out of that the scene that was, there was a bit of a scene at that time. and
1: You're not the first band for this to have happened. The band Shotgun and Jaybird, uh, Shotgun Jimmy, yeah, he, sure. forever, everyone just assumed they were from Sackville because some of the members lived there. But it turns, I would have. Well, but it turns out, I believe, and I might be wrong, that, that Fred Squire and and Jimmy, Shotgun Jimmy, are actually from Ajax, I think, like near Oshawa.
2: Okay, yeah, 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 and sounds it, great. And Chaos is also from like Chaos f- is from Whitby. From Whitby. I know that because I remember the first Chaos video that came out, there was this shot of him, I think he's being he's being hung upside down, okay. and it's the scenery's wrapping upside down, and he's going across the Oshawa Harbor, uh, oh. which doesn't get a lot of air time for at, at, any, at any time, <laughs> let alone a rock didn't video. Know, didn't know and there so was a I harbor was, there, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, that's Oshawa Harbor, and then that's when I made the connection. That dude's from Whitby. Oh, okay. Do you think, is it is it something about people from
1: Ajax, Whitby, Oshawa area where they're trying to hide it? Are, they, are you trying to hide it? Like It's funny to me that at least three or four examples, people think Chaos is from Toronto. People think that, as I say, Shotgun,
2: Jaber, Sackville, Inbreds, Kingston. Are you guys? There, there's a guy that I work with. It's from Whitby. And uh-huh. he says, when we were growing up, that some people would talk about the Oshawa, Whitby area. And he made the joke that the only people that say they're from Oshawa, Whitby, are people from Oshawa, because anybody from Whitby says they're just from Whitby. <laughs> is there some shame Cause, about cause Oshawa? I, well, I think Whitby was always a little bit more of a, like, Oshawa is a is a working class town. Yeah. Always has been. Yeah. Still is. And, you know, Whitby was just a little bit more. But things have changed today. I mean, just Toronto has grown. Same with Guelph, right? I mean, yeah. it's becoming, Toronto was just sprawled to where you have, I don't know, I guess different kinds of culture and art and stuff like that's maybe sifting into Oshawa a little bit more than it it was at one time.
1: <laughs> right. And then do you think that's benefiting Oshawa? That kind of cultural s- you're, you're just talking about a kind I mean of to
2: me to me one of the things growing up in Oshawa that I I didn't maybe I didn't even know what culture was. I probably didn't. I just knew there was something I wanted that wasn't there. Yeah. And when I got to Kingston, one of the things that I found was having access to music art um just, I guess, different ideas, you know what I mean? Uh, that's that's kind of what I really enjoyed when I got to Kingston. And um, Oshawa just never felt like it had that growing up. Well, you felt went, like Oshawa was by fast cars and big TVs, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you went from kind of a blue-collar working-class town to one of the most prestigious university towns in the country, Queen's University in, in Kingston. Queen's is regarded as uh, diffi- like difficult to get into. Some people... It's a it's a big school, right? It's a big
2: deal school. And it's probably one of the funniest things about about Queens is there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of like hardworking, you know, regular, like mid to lower class schmoes like me that probably did, were just really geeky and nerdy and made the wind at that school. And I think there's, a, there's to this day a lot of that. Oh yeah, there's a lot of strivers, you know. But yeah. there's still also a lot of rich people, or whatever, right? But but to me, it was the fact that Kingston as a town. Kingston also has a pretty rough side in its own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally. a whole separate conversation. But I think that it's, it's just got access to this, and particularly for me, it was music. That was the one thing that I was really kind of enjoying. But you know, the thing is, though, I got to admit, I, to this day, I you know, you know, Cuff the Duke came out, and uh, you know, Wayne Petty. I mean, he's got a song called Rosslyn Square, which is very near where I live, grew up it's, in Oscar. It's, it's, it. it's about a actual, basically, like a mall, right? Oh. A mall area right near. I mean. He's like the Springsteen of Oshawa, you know? We, we just couldn't do that. And we did it. it.
1: They owned it. Cup they, the Duke really yeah. owned the Oshawa connection. Yeah. You guys, eh, you kind of swept it under the rug.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know what to say.
1: <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I think it worked out. You man. went there, though, with Mike. Right? I went so to Mike's it, house, and I, I learned that you two went to O'Neill High School. That's right. Yeah, wow. Where Picked that right out of the air, right? Eh? Well, I saw I drove by it. Yep. I yep. drove by O'Neill High School. I'm like, Mike, did they name the high school after you? Because it was spelled the exact same way, right, with the two L's and the N Z. and the E and the I, with the O and the apostrophe? It was always
2: funny, but you saw how close he lives to that high school. Yeah. He lives very close to it. And he ran for uh, school president. And he won, yeah. Yeah, he won. <laughs> My brother was like his campaign boss. Really? Say. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a whole story there, too.
1: As I recall, he beat uh, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> he beat a kid named Jimmy Stewart. Uh, that's
2: pretty good. I don't think he ever went by the name Jimmy, but that's James you're right. Stewart.
1: Yeah, James Stewart. He beat James Stewart. Wait, wait, wait.
2: James Stewart. Yeah, it was the brother of Don Stewart, who was our our. In our, a guy in our with was Don Stewart. I think it was his brother James who okay. ran. That's right. Wow, good good factoid. wow well, I mean,
1: he, it all came up in the show. I was just Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah, while well, we were making It's a Wonderful Life, it wasn't a wonderful life for James Stewart after losing the election, you know? We made those kinds of stupid jokes. You yeah, know,
2: but. I got to say, I watched the other day um, introduce My Kids to Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yes. A great movie. Yeah. Every time I watch that movie, I have to think of Mike O'Neill winning the election. <laughs> because... <laughs> right. because there was this thing in Napoleon Dynamite. there's that thing where the, the dude steps up and does all those dance moves. Yeah, and helps and Pedro sort of
1: assembly or whatever. Yeah. Right.
2: And there was a similar bit where an equivalent thing was. There was this speech where Mike got up, and I just remember being in the crowd, and, and there was this this juncture, this uh, you know, apex where Mike got up and did this speech in front of the in front of the school, and it was as if nobody expected this guy to, to pull it off, and it was kind of that speech, kind of like Pedro, that sort of pulled him. Pulled him over the edge, and he won. He, and James Stewart was like a cool guy, not oh. unlike the, the the girl in the you know the movie, right? So right. he kind of he kind of pulled one out of the pulled one out of the hat. So for the, just for the just underdog,
1: people assumed because he was the underdog. People like people didn't think Mike. They just didn't think that this little guy would have it in him. To yeah,
2: it was just it was it was literally like out of a movie in that way because it was it was uh, you know because let's face it, when you're in high school, all that stuff means it's it's like right in front of your face. It means way more than it. It, yeah, it actually does it in reality. But at the time, it was such a big thing. Seems it was like a so big deal. We, we just couldn't believe it.
1: Now you mentioned your brother was Mike's campaign manager. What was your role in Mike's
2: life at that point? Well, that's when we were just playing. We were just starting. There oh, was you were playing f- music already? Yeah, there was a few of us. Yeah, we started playing about probably a grade ten. We used to play every Sunday at my at my house. Mike used to ride his bike up from down on uh, the whole. That they, they were in that house the whole time. Like yeah, I can't remember what street it is now. It's like yep. a, yeah. What is it,
1: Main Street or George Street or? Well, now it's.
2: Yeah, I'm having a me- I'm having a memory <laughs> yeah, a memory I, can't remember I believe there. The I'm not even gonna try it. So, but but he used to ride his bike up, and another friend of ours we used to play. And we didn't know what we were playing. We used to play every year, and then keeping the O'Neill theme running again, we just used to joke around every Sunday. Uh, we'd like we play, uh, go to McDonald's, get a hamburger. That was like a Sunday, right? Yeah. Then. Then we, and finally when we were in grade 13, there was a battle of bands. And, and a friend of ours was kind of the guy who put it together. And so you guys should do some songs. And all we'd ever done to that was like the chorus or the verse of any classic rock song you can think of. Like "You 2 you know, we never learned a whole song. Mike was a big Beatles fan. Did you do the Beatles song? Yeah, he was. Yeah. But like for when we were playing, we were lazy,
1: you know? So we only learn the bands, like a section of a section. any given song. So
2: the battle of the bands forced us to learn an entire three songs. Okay. I, I so can't wait was, to hear what these three songs were. It was Led Zeppelin, rock and roll. Wow, nice. Um, it was U uh, two. It's gonna come to me. Okay. And uh, it was actually a ZZ Top song.
1: Oh. And I a, just bought in a bought Stones tune. What ZZ Top song did you play? It was uh, I want to thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just bought uh, today uh, tres hombres. I bought yeah? that record. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. The, yeah. the vinyl. Yeah, I bought the. I've vinyl. got the CD. Nice. I don't have the
1: vinyl, but I know that. I got the hundred and eighty gram. I buy, I paid. In the year 2014, I bought a ZZ Top album on vinyl that's brand new. That's how what the world we are wow. living in right now. Yeah, But did you remember the U2 song? Was it something from like the Joshua Tree or was it Unforgettable Fire? You guys are a little older than me. So I'm uh, trying to think of what, I
2: can't believe I can't remember. This is embarrassing. I feel like
1: it would be something off of War. It what, was like War. It was yeah, definitely War. Uh, I'm going to guess it was probably not Sunday Bloody Sunday. That would be weird. It's going to
2: come to me later, later mm. on in the podcast. Okay. I guess.
1: All right. Yeah. Well, when we when we think of it, that's but that, well, that's pretty cool. But anyway, you know, wins
2: similar. Yeah. So so it was just like the Pedro <laughs> story. again. <laughs> you guys are winners. O'Neill was kind of like a jazz school, so it was a bit like um, Fame. You say it was like the movie, the TV show Fame. It was an art school. Art, it was kind of an. Art, it was sort of. It had an art school undertone in Oshawa. Oh. So. They, had a jazz situation going on. There was a lot of jazz guys, a lot of jazz people, and you would expect jazz people to win. It was a couple of really super muso kind of jazz bands. And we came up and did the rock. And I think, I think was Mike the, was he the, uh, the president at that time? I can't remember. But anyway, we went up and did, again, like it was kind of, I think out of nowhere and we won. And wow. people were like, who the hell are these guys? Was it
1: based on votes from the crowd
2: or how'd you, how do you win? I think it was, there was a, there was a judging panel. Oh, okay. And, and wow. the name, the name of the band, I've, uh, my kids love it. Have you ever heard this? I don't know. I don't know. The name of the band was the Fresh Steaming Turds. The fr- <laughs> and, <laughs> in high school? In high school. The and we high did school it, and permitted they this? And the thing was, they wouldn't say our name on the announcement. Uh, of course not. So that was the funniest thing. So the next day, they said there was a winning band. and they, didn't, they wouldn't say our name. So
1: the name of the band that you had that only did sections of songs was called the
2: Fresh wow. Steaming Turds. Well, the thing was, we didn't have a name. And then for the show, oh, we, needed, the we show had, had to come up it. with a name. Oh. So the name we, we submitted was Fresh Steaming Turds. Wow. And every time they announced that at the show, it got a great reaction. Yeah, so that, that was probably wh- that's what. That's where you can see where stupid <laughs> names like the Inbreds came from, right?
1: Yeah, just did a kind of juvenile <laughs> streak in the band. Yeah. yeah. Was it I Will Follow? Did you do I Will Follow? Uh, it's fine. New Year's Day?
2: No, it's definitely like of that. Oh yeah, no wait. Okay, News. keep going, keep going. Uh, no, we don't have to. No, but, though, but you're in the, you're right in the the, yeah. heat, the heat zone. <laughs> the, the, it's in the red right now, right? Wouldn't be. Hmm.
1: Okay, I'll keep thinking. I'll keep thinking. I'm gonna get it. It was an unforgettable fire. It was like
2: war, like '83. One of those two albums. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. we're doing like a trivia. Well, we just have a I'm just you're, curious. You're, you're
1: very close to it. I know. Right I'm there. gonna get it. I just, I'm trying to. I grew up really loving you too. But I've got a mental block on them. I'd say when, when Mike and I were starting uh, two bands that you know two I, hard speed is one. That was it.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Really. That's yeah. a good song. Yeah, That's a good it was, video. Yeah, great video. But yeah. but I'd say that the t- I'd say two touchstone bands when we were starting that Mike was definitely ahead of the curve. For, I think for anybody that I knew, maybe anybody in my high school, was U two and REM. Oh, nice. At the time, that was. College Rock. That was like Arcade Fire or whatever. You that what was I mean? your College Rock, yeah. yeah. So your underground band. And I that's believe doing well. in both cases, Mike saw. He saw REM on the. What uh, He saw U two on Unforgettable, or the sorry the out. Uh, Unforgettable. Josh Patry. Josh tour. Yeah. Tour, and then for REM he saw. Not to green. See on before. Uh, document. And before document. Uh,
1: Life's Rich Pageant? Reckoning. No, Reckoning's not. It could have been Life's Rich Pageant Tour. I think it was
2: Life... I believe that he met Michael Stipe as well.
1: I, everyone
2: who... <laughs> I know several people yeah, who yeah. saw he, either waited, They waited outside his bus or something like that.
1: No. I have a friend who says he met him at the... When R.E.M. played the Masonic Temple. Which I don't know if that's the show Michael... That to. would have been the gig, yeah, I think. Okay, yeah. so, uh, Michael Stipe just met everybody at that show, I think. That yeah. must have, but that must have made an impression on Mike, young Mike O'Neill.
2: I mean, you know, that was, to think of what those guys were doing at that time, they really were, just because it's a bit like, still today, I mean, there's people that I can play R.E.M. for, or maybe Neil Young for, mm-hmm. and they'll go, that guy can't sing, you know? The right. whole idea of having a band of whatever skill level in the band, but the singer can't sing or is not traditional, that was pretty um, unusual, yeah. I think.
1: okay. Now, in the Fresh Steaming Turds, which yeah. is a great band name,
2: did you play drums?
1: Yes. Have you always played drums? Yep. yep. Okay. Is that your main, that was your first instrument?
2: Yeah, when, when Mike and I first started playing, it was, um, I was playing guitar the very, very early days, Aha, trying to that. play guitar.
1: That's not your first instrument, and your guitar Well, was your yeah, first but system? I
2: wasn't, I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, okay. or I, didn't, I never had the. And so what happened was the first couple of times Mike came over, there was, originally there was a, uh, you know, a four pad Mattel drum mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that somehow, I don't know if I had it or bought it, so we used to actually play stuff like Twist and Shout with four pad metal thing plugged into the stereo him and his guitar and then one point a friend of my brother's brought up his old drum kit and so i was able to switch onto the kit okay and then so ever since it was kind of that configuration so
1: how old were you when you started playing uh
2: 14 probably
1: 14 okay but i didn't
2: have any lessons or whatever we just we were just a bunch of jokers you know
1: and the stuff that inspired you was it some of the same stuff that you played in the air band the uh,
2: like youtube well that's the thing that see that that list of the this was three of us in the turds. there was a third guy named Derek, right? Three of us in the turds. turds. <laughs> That's gonna be a t-shirt. There's three of us in the turds, and, and each of us picked a song. And I think it kind of said so. Like Mike picked the U2. Derek picked the. Um, which one did he pick? Zeppelin? Oh, no, don't De- yeah, don't no, Derek picked the? I think the ZZ Top. Oh, the ZZ Top. And I picked the the Led Zeppelin. Nice. And then, and then and we all picked the Stones. But I think it was funny because it kind of set a lot of it where each of us were at that time. <laughs> what Stone song did you do again? It was Shattered. Oh, Shattered. Oh, which wow. Which was great. Which was a great, uh, for, for where, what were we were doing at that time, it well, was a Some great. Some
1: Girls Era Stones. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. All right. Wow.
2: And then when we played the songs, I remember, you know, you, you did the U2 song, and Mike knew the lyrics just flawlessly. You know, like, he did, did the ZZ Top, mm, you mm-hmm. know. Was did Mike the, singing the entire time? Yeah, yeah. And Derek... Played Derek was play guitar. Derek played guitar and Mike played bass. And oh. the only reason he played bass was because Derek had a more expensive guitar.
1: <laughs> Cuz Mike played guitar at that time
2: too. They both did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So for the band, <laughs> he borrowed my brother's bass and he played that. <laughs> the expense you know that of the instrument. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's funny. Okay. All right. Okay. So But it th- said
2: a lot about it. It was just funny to because you know, uh, I don't know you're just you, young and stupid. You're more stupid than you are right now. No, you know no, it's
1: me? not stupid. It's just that's great. I yeah. mean, at 14 to be doing those songs or trying to do those songs, I can't vouch for their quality at this point because I haven't seen the tape. I'm sure it's on YouTube. All, all I can
2: tell you is we, we did this and we rec- we practiced these songs in my basement. Nobody heard about my mother, who always loved whatever we were doing. That's nice. Uh, you guys both had incur Well, you mostly had encouraging parents. I think we did. Like the, yeah. I think the last time that I saw Mike's mother, I think she was wearing an inbred shirt. <laughs> And my mother still wears. If I go over, she will put on an inbred shirt. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. They, yeah. they were very proud of you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah.
1: seems like you had nice, uh, well-rounded uh, upbringings, and, uh, and that must have helped. That You guys have a nice... You guys seem to have joy within you, you and Mike, whenever you're around. There's like... You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, what can I say?
1: Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's not bad. It's a good thing. So were you into John Bonham? You picked the Zeppelin song. Yeah,
2: like I, that, that was when... There was, when I was in high school, there was a lot of real real skid kind of metalhead guys were into Zeppelin and I couldn't I didn't like that it was only when I I not the band I
1: hate it's their fans that kind of uh,
2: exactly exactly there was just a point where suddenly I started getting into and probably because the drums I just ran late late in high school I suddenly got right into Zeppelin bought all the albums still love Zeppelin I just
1: uh, uploaded every Zeppelin album to my computer which I hadn't done and I was—I uh, had to do this job where I was just going through a bunch of stuff in a row, sitting in a chair for hours and hours. I listened to the entire Led Zeppelin catalog just recently, in a row. And It was totally satisfying. Sequential. That was a good fucking band, if I might
2: say, and swear on my own podcast. Some, some of those—you uh, know what it is, though. It just—I I think that those um, some of those albums they put out were. There were four very unique individuals some of the lyrics are undeniably cheesy yes but um the the what the each of them brought that's the best kind of band is when they're just in so many ways they're almost like four different people and they really bring yeah like if you, you know you see like Jimmy Page and it might get loud that movie yeah where he's talking that. about playing guitar and stuff and he's talking about I think he's talking about like that link ray tune or something mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that just when he kind of moves same with Keith Richards. when they kind of move they kind of their moves they have on stage and the moves they have in real life they're just kind of like one with their guitar and music and stuff yeah, right? so yeah. all those dudes in that band are and all the stories band Led Zeppelin are so um, now they're almost it's almost comical but you think of what those guys were doing at that time uh, because you know because Mike's always been a Beatles guy he's always yeah. been a Beach Boys guy yeah uh, likes the more beautiful stuff
1: yeah, yeah. But and you I was,
2: I was definitely into I I mean I like I like those guys too, but I was probably into stones and Zeppelin. That's probably my you know, side of the fence in but some At ways. some
1: point correct me if I'm wrong, but of the two of you, at some point you in particular gravitated towards underground punk. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Fugazi, Sebado, for sure, at yeah. that time, definitely. The, and and what was it about that stuff that appealed to you after coming through with, you know,
2: Zeppelin stones? I think, you know, sometimes some of those guys so so lyrically around that time again similar, going, starting from that theme of leaving Oshawa you know the, lyrically stuff like Fugazi was really interesting to me at that time I really got into Husker Du uh, and some elements obviously some of the more aggressive elements some of those bands are probably in line with where Zeppelin and the Stones were coming from um, but I think it was the idea that also seeing this idea that anyone could you don't need to be a muso to play some of that stuff yeah. and, and or you could You could just have the spirit and maybe the will and maybe, again, some of the words, your own words, and you could kind of do it. Anytime somebody realizes that, and that's the same with art, too, and, like, you know, uh, I think there's examples in painting and writing. You just suddenly realize that kind of, that true indie thing, then it just opens up a whole palette of possibilities, you know?
1: Do you think it's a coincidence that a lot of times when people talk about certain punk rock bands, they'll talk about the fact that those bands inspired them because they made it seem they made music making seem accessible but then once like when you get into those bands and i'm thinking of the ramones i mean we were talking about husker du and fugazi a moment ago and i think of those bands as having their own complexity but but it there but there is this sense that it's accessible to people who want they it was inspiring more so than It seemed more attainable to play those kinds of songs than it would maybe Zeppelin or whoever, even though you you did do that as well. I don't know if it was just that those things are driven by fury in a lot of cases. They're driven by some innate desire and rage to make some kind of noise. I mean, to express oneself. I I don't just simply mean a lot of cacophonous noise. So did that aspect we already alluded to the fact that in some ways i think of you and mike as happy go lucky dudes but were you driven by that like sense of trying to prove something and and make some kind of
2: statement well i think you know maybe maybe looking back on it there's there's an element of if, if, a lot of people that i've known who've done music it's like as you, we've started before the tape was rolling talking about like the need right there's yeah. kind of this need that you can't describe and you don't even know where it comes from and why it happens yeah. uh but it seems like with certain and punk rock and indie rock has a lot of that, where the need overwhelms, uh, overpowers the kind of you know traditional thing of I got to spend ten hours in the bedroom, or what is it? what does Gladwell say? Ten thousand hours. Ten thousand hours. Yeah. Ten thousand hours. You know, the punk rock Gladwell is like ten hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you can just sort of, uh, you need to have the spirit first, and then and then everything comes after. And, and sometimes I've, I've uh, to this day, I mean. You know, I, I play music today, and I play music with just friends of mine now that are grown up, and they don't. Well, they, you know, they obviously everybody that plays music loves it, but they they don't maybe come from some of the background of uh, that s- spirit over skill kind of thing. And, and sometimes I play with them, and there's various people. I think they sometimes they think, ah, oh, this guy's a hack, right? And I think about I am, you. Yeah, yeah, I think I am a hack, but I think the one thing I know is that I've probably got in a Gladwell way, I've probably got ten thousand hours of of punk rock experience in my Absolutely. life. now, number of touring and things I've done. And I think some of that comes out to this day in a way, you know, if you start having kids and you start doing, you bring some of that spirit to it. You can't help it because it's kind of that idea of just uh, trying to explain to somebody. You don't need, you know, just if you if you have the spirit, just do it, you know? Yeah. Um, you don't want to create shit, but you want to try to uh, also have stuff that's, you uh, Coming from somewhere that is uh, sincere, you know, sincerity. Sincerity just matters in anything you do. Yeah, and it really matters in music. Yeah. Now
1: you, at some point when you and Mike started playing, you, again, I'm attributing this to you in some ways. You guys started a record label. Yeah, that's right. P.F. Records. Yeah, yeah.
2: What does that stand for? We we made a cassette, and my brother helped me make the graphics because he was the guy who had. He was an engineer. He was studying engineering at Queens, and he had a a CAD program. This is well before any kind of you know, graphic design that we have. CAD prog- oh, like, like a a, CAD program. So okay. he used a CAD program to make this the cover of the first tape, and he needed a, la- a label name. So he put PF on it, and it stands for Proviscus Funkstone, which meant nose to the Funkstone. Which was a, a just a kind of like a bad joke based on a thing that Flea used to say from the Chili Peppers, talking about that he was gonna really keep his nose to the Funk Stone and play really hard. Uh, okay, this is like it's kind of a, it's kind of a dumb that's joke,
1: a, but it's a very vague,
2: it's a, obscure, esoteric
1: reference. reference. Yeah,
2: but he put he needed we needed a label name, so he put it on the tape. So when we got over to the, we got over to his house, he goes, "Hey, the tape's ready. I made it," and he shows it to us. Like a, we're talking on printed on paper, yeah, using a CAD program, it says PF Records, and we just we laughed our head off, and that became what it was. Has anyone? I've never heard that before. Have you talked about the name before? Maybe I, I don't okay. know. It's, it's, I, I it's pretty old. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so what was it? Was that same spirit that you were alluding to a moments ago? That DIY thing. Obviously, that inspired you to be like, yeah, we're just going to put this out ourselves."
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, well, one of the one of the references with cass- it's funny because cassettes are making this. Yeah, I know. What is it? Twenty years, twenty-five years later. I mean, wh- inexplicable one inexplicable comeback. That, one thing about cassettes then. And maybe now was that, so one of the things we, we did when we, had the, when we actually had them, we, at my, in my room, we had two tape decks and I could do them myself one at a time. So I would, I would record the five songs from that first song onto a second tape from the master. Then I would take open the tape, take out all five screws, cut, cut the tape to the exact length of five songs, flip it over and put the other five on the backside. Oh, wow. So it was five and five. And all I would right. just do them one after the other. I would do them you know all night kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. Do, and do 10 at a time put them in the record store, sell them with the shows. And, you know, we sold 100, 200. Then we did the next tape. Then we did a CD. And it was definitely like the full-on, short of actually manufacturing the plastic ourselves, it was about as DIY as you could get at that time. What was the
1: first tape called?
2: Uh, the very first tape was called Darn Foul Dog, five that's songs. That's right, Darn yeah.
1: Foul Dog. And what was the first CD?
2: The first CD was Hilario. So and that was what a we, compilation? we pulled. Yeah, we pulled yeah. all the, you know, songs from there and some bits and the 7-inch we did and some new stuff we recorded mm-hmm. with Dave Clark. Yeah.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay. And then the inbreds were just sort of born and it had its own aesthetic. Um, the songwriting was, was it mostly Mike's vision and,
2: and, and you two collaborating or? Yeah. I mean, I think in the early days it was definitely Mike. The earliest stuff was Mike and I getting together, I think more and then like riffs, that Mm -hmm. became songs Mike would go back we had a four track in the early days then as we went further it was way more about Mike sitting in the lab closing the door putting on the four track putting on 15 vocals 15 everythings and and doing it like that so that's how it kind of progressed over the years but the early days it was it was more about it was definitely it was way more riffy yeah the very earliest days it was the thing where Mike when we first started playing Mike got into he was learning a lot of country blues where where it was uh, finger picking yeah so some of the first songs was him f- finger picking on the bass, which is completely bizarre. He ne- really never did it again. He only did the first, you know, on know, very beginning of the band. Yeah. And I think one of the songs is Grandpa's Heater on the very one, oh, of, the, yeah, one yeah. of the first things that has him finger picking a bass. I think if he had continued on that, or at least had done that once in a while more in the in the later years, that would have been a it's just a pretty weird. You don't see that happen on guitar much, let alone ever on bass. Yeah. I think he must have been the only guy finger-picking a bass in the history of rock, I think. You know He's right? a
1: very unique uh, musician, that Mike O'Neill, I think. Gifted he, guy. He takes
2: it pretty seriously, yeah. that's for sure.
1: he takes everything pretty seriously. Now, yeah. the band uh, was around for how long exactly? Like seven years? Yeah, about that, yeah. Seven years. And um, when it stopped initially, uh, you've done a couple of come, like come, comebacks. You've done a couple of one-off reunion shows. Yeah, yeah. But when the band stopped, actually, before we get to that, what did you make of the band's trajectory, um, its impact on, on, I mean, surely every once in a while someone will be like, man, the Inbreds, one of my favorite bands. I'm sure you get that from time to time. But do you have a sense of the impact you guys made? Because you, you came about and you were part of a culture, cultural renaissance in this country, underground music. Underground music culture was really on the rise. And you guys were part of that in the, in the 90s.
2: There's a line that I read one time saying that success is when luck meets preparedness, you know? (laughs) And I think that uh, the inbreds kind of had a bit of that where we were definitely not prepared in the practice sense. But I think we were prepared in the uh, work ethic sense. To this day, I still, I mean, there are some hardworking bands in Canada. And there's some successful hardworking bands. But sometimes what I have a hard uh, time finding is... um, Unsuccessful, hardworking bands. What I mean is, we were young and and we didn't have fifty people at our shows. Sometimes we only ten people, yeah. but we had no problem going out to Guelph. Yeah, playing you the know, Albion. Yeah, playing the Albion. We we go to London. We go to Windsor yeah. every weekend. And I I I talked sometimes young because through junior you see people like doing young. It's almost like you can't explain to them why they should do that. Because it is sometimes it's not even about the show. It's about sometimes it's about the meeting the people. Sometimes it's about the skill that you get playing the show. Sometimes it's about the the um, <clears throat> it's called the emotional maturity you get from playing to no one once in a while yeah, or yeah. a lot. Like it all that all that for the inbreds kind of came into what what we were, which is a lot of handshakes one at a time, a lot of um, connections with college radio across the, across the country, which was huge. Like because you'd play to no one, you go to college radio, meet three people. And all that over time just added up lots of touring, lots of lucky breaks, so that yeah. was the, the uh, luck. The luck side was lots of great breaks from the hip, from the Statics, from Sloan, you know, from everybody. All these guys that gave us breaks along the way um, added up to what we were doing, which was which was just great fun because it meant that every day you could get up and do something a little bit higher, a little, a little bit further, a little bit, you know, touring Europe, touring the States, even, even Buffalo Tom, you know, they, they apparently, they kind of picked our tape out of a, I mean, we were on a label at that time, but they had a, they had a bunch of bands that they were going to, poss- I guess were, you know, possible options. Yeah. And they kind of picked our tape out of a thing and said, let's, let's do it, these guys. Oh, nice. And we met them, great guys. Nice. You know, did, did US, did Europe. Um, I don't see
1: how anyone uh, who encountered the
2: band, anyone,
1: literally anyone, couldn't love the band. The band had uh, this, I mean, I know your history a little bit, and I know where you guys were coming from in terms of the classic pop and rock bands of our time, you know, or the 20th century, but also that underground punk thing was there, too. You know, I hear all of that in all the songs. Like, there, there's something gritty and pretty about everything the Inbreds did. So I can... I, I, I Yeah, I can see why... I, I defy anyone to dislike that band. It was a really great band. Thank you. You're welcome. And you when it ended. Sorry, before we get to I keep wanting to talk about when it ended. There's actually a Guelph connection. Lewis Melville. Sure is. Yeah,
2: yeah. How did you meet Lewis? Was that through the Rio Statics? Yeah, through through, um, so the, the Rio's connection started with us seeing and watching and meeting Rio Statics a few times in Kingston. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think one of the first connection points was actually Bedini. But Bedini and Clark kind of came in at the same time where we had sent them tapes, we had met them. And it was Clark that definitely took us Dave had some great advice, uh, Benini, and Clark took us under his wing with recording. Yeah. with the whole Dave Clark Razamanaz, yeah, t- he has, yeah. still does today. Still does it today, right? Yeah, and so that side of it inevitably brought in Lewis Melville because Lewis was a big part of the of the scene at that time, and, and Lewis had recording gear at a time when like what we're using right now didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I mean you needed some actual hardware and yeah. Lewis had that. He has so, a studio. It's a big studio, yeah. So we went out to Lewis's place and we recorded some of the stuff that became on that first album, uh, you know, Hilario. And, you know, we had Soup, right? We met Tannis. Yeah, Tannis, you know, Lewis's partner. Uh, it was partner. a big, giant snowstorm that day. I, remember, I never forget that. And uh, it was like a one-day kind of thing. And But the, the Lewis connection continued, but it was that time recording in Guelph. And then it was also uh, doing Dave Tychrobe helping us out with doing, uh, putting out, the, the first CD. Yeah, Dave had a record label called Drog, Dave's right. Records of Guelph, yeah. So it was a bit of a Guelph, and so, you know, to me, when I that's the thing, when I moved away and came back, when I heard everything came up with Three Gut, I remember thinking, man, Guelph, you know, wow, <laughs> you know, I was like, Three Gut, go. that is yeah. cool, you know. Yeah, I mean?
1: yeah, Guelph has a, a happening scene, I've talked about it a bunch on the show, but I, it's funny, uh, you know, there's really no reason why anyone would think of the inbreds in Guelph, except that you, you know. And like I
2: think, I'm thinking, when was it? There was one time in the last decade, decade and a half, we were walking in Guelph, and we saw you. Do you remember that? What the hell was that? There was some reason we were walking oh, in Guelph. Yeah. Were yeah. we playing? Were we touring? Well, I did
1: see you guys play a couple of times. I remember times. it was like downtown. Yeah. I don't it was like, hey. Was it a gut? Were you with Tuck? Were you with Al Tuck?
2: I don't know. There okay. was some weird reason. I remember seeing you walking downtown. I mean, well, I don't I mean, know how I, long we've known each other, but.
1: I've lived there for uh, 16 years or whatever, 17 years, so maybe it could be any time. But yeah, I remember this. I don't you remember see, the circumstance, you know, but yeah. It's a small town. It is a small town, yeah. <laughs> and, the, you know, the downtown is where people like me and you would be.
2: And I think, you know, I think actually there's a lot of, they're, they're in a conceptual way, there's a lot of Kingston and Guelph. Uh-huh. Similarities in some ways. Well, and you, know? you you lived in Halifax for a bit, too, at yep. some point. Yep. I feel like there's a
1: bit of Halifax in Guelph, too. That's what I thought when I went to Halifax, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no, yeah. there is. There's, there's something,
2: yeah. you know. Anyway. Small uh, world.
1: Small country. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Now you, okay, so finally, when the inbreds ended, um, Mike tells this story, which I hadn't heard before. I remember seeing you guys on Much Music with Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl was, yep. like, watching yep. the inbreds shortly after Nirvana was, you know, unfortunately done. And he loved you guys. He was, like, you know, headbanging to the inbreds. And there's this thing that Mike told said that we're the in, where Dave offered the inbreds a Foo Fighters opening slot on a tour. And Mike, in front of both you, Dave Ulrich, and Dave Grohl said, no, we're not doing it. We're wrapping this up.
2: Yes, how can I forget? <laughs> can you talk about that moment? Well, I think that, you know, that tour was, so that when we were on that tour, we, Mike and I had... Which tour was it though? This was the, like,
1: this, why this were was literally
2: our final tour where we, we had hit a point where we said we were going to, we'd put it Winning Hearts, we'd done a bunch of shows, and we, got, we were going to do a Western tour with, I believe the Western part was with Wooden Stars. Oh, yeah. Thinking, thinking.
1: Was it you two? Is that the other band? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> What's we gotta guess. We gotta guess. No, no.
2: There was. a, We did a Western tour, and then we were coming to Ontario to do a string of what was the Edge Edge Fest. We had a uh, series of like it was like a, you know, moving festival. So it was like four shows. Big Edge Fest used to be a thing that just happened in Toronto. Yeah. But then yeah, they did a small one, run one, of yeah. So it was so on that tour it was it was it was, it was Foo Fighters, Green Day, a bunch of others.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. And to get 30 30, bit get 30, bit to get 20 20, 20 get 20 20, get 15 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So,
1: give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: It's like 95? No, no, 97? This would
2: have been... um, 97? I think it was actually 98. 98? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it um, it was kind of these big shows, and... Uh, Foo Fighters were on the tour and through, the, through a, it was basically through a Bookman connection. I think it's the same trick that, Dan Bookman. Yeah. That, we, that I think that we did since the, the hip. There was one point where there was a show the hip were playing and I put a bunch of tapes or a bunch of CDs into a brown paper bag and a t-shirt. This was like way, way back. So I think I gave it to Bookman or somehow I got it into the backstage. Gord Downey got, got a brown paper bag. I heard it was his birthday. So on his birthday he got a brown paper bag with some inbreds Junk in it. Oh, nice and a T-shirt, and he asked us to to get up and sing with him that night. Island Kingston, which was bizarre. and oh, wow. Change and it was in Change of Heart. We played. We played with Change of Heart. Right. Who playing, also opened Playing for the, the song hip. Prince, and we sang it. Oh, nice. But anyway, but then the next time Toronto Gord wore the inbred shirt. So nice. That was one of the first times that that kind of connection came to be. Uh huh. So we did the same thing years later with the Foo Fighters, where I got. I think I got a, a CD to Bookman, and Bookman got into Foo Fighters' change room, and it turned out that those guys either they, maybe they'd seen the video on Much Music or whatever. So it was kind of a you know there was a bit of a, uh, a connection. They were aware of you guys. Anyway. They were aware of us, and then we were aware that they were aware of us because we did a song. Or they were doing um, their set, and I was standing in the crowd by myself. I remember in the middle of the, it was one of those one of the songs off the, that record that at that time where it stops dead in the middle of the song. It just stops, and he goes. Something like, next part of this song goes out to the inbreds or a fucking awesome band or whatever, right? What? And I was standing there by myself. It was one of those, like, you're kind of looking side to side, like as if some, anybody <laughs> noticed you know, that yeah. he said that. Yeah. And But we hadn't met him. Then we met him. Then we had lunch with him. In the, we had lunch with him and uh, Tyler, actually, in the like cafeteria area. Tyler? Right? Or the, or, um, Taylor. Taylor. Sorry. The drummer, right. Drummer. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I remember sitting there eating... I think those guys both had craft macaroni. That's what they had. They both had macaroni, <laughs> and Taylor was like, you know, just as hyper as he seems to be today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember sitting there eating and watching around and watching other. It was like other bands were looking at us, like, "Who? The, why are these idiots eating <laughs> with the food fighters?" One of them was the Tea Party. I remember oh like yeah. the <laughs> Tea Party looking at us like these fucking guys. Right? <laughs> and so. Again, like any of those tours, they're like summer camp. You've heard this in yeah. you know, LA. You know from, right? Sure. It's like summer camp, right? So it was near the end of that spree, I think, where Dave came and saw us. He actually watched our show, came over, and he goes, yeah, it was great, you know? And then he said that line about, and Mike just didn't hesitate, right? Just said, no, actually, we're, we're done. And we hadn't actually, I don't think we had, the thing more about it was, as much as it was turning him down, I'm not sure how much we had really told people that. It was kind of like under the wraps at that point, you know, like the idea that we weren't going to play anymore. So it was a bit of a. But did you, know. you resent what Mike had said? Well, there was no resenting it because it was just he was stating a fact. Do you know what I mean? But were
1: you? Was there any part of it when 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 Dave Grohl walked away? Did you say, Mike, shouldn't we just do this one last thing? I mean, this. Oh, uh, I be probably
2: said that in my mind. Oh, okay. Well, I probably you didn't had. Say it. I probably had a good conversation with myself after <laughs> you that. Didn't I went into a corner. Uh, I may have. I don't remember. Okay. Uh, I, I mean. Uh, Obviously, I'm thinking to myself, "Holy shit!" You know, but I knew I, it was something like I think maybe at the time it was kind of apparent that, you know. Uh, it may not have changed anything, if you know what I mean. Like, sure, it, like it would have been a, an awesome opportunity. But you remember that scene at the end of Spinal Tap where they get a chance to tour Japan? Right, right. Tap, you know, yes. Tap gets it's a bit like that, right? Like where you you just uh, it would be awesome to think that doing a tour with Foo Fighters would be it would be fun no matter what you no matter what happened. But you might be in your mind thinking, "Oh, maybe this could uh, you know." take us to the next level or whatever, you know?
1: Well, an opening slot's an opening slot. We all know, anyone who's open for anyone big knows that in the end, you're just playing your set, that you're in the way of the people. Like, the people are there to see the band after you. And... I will... In some some ways it pays off, but in other ways... I will
2: admit that there's a a, a Foo Fighters-Jack Black connection, which is very deep, right? Uh, Yes. Right? Yeah. And the very first time that I ever saw... Or I guess became well aware of the White Stripes and what they were doing, mm-hmm. which is I think a great, amazing band, right? Great band, another two piece band, um, exactly. And one of the you know one of the f- I'm gonna say I'm gonna say White Stripes were maybe they they were maybe the first two piece band, rock band to really <sighs> take it to the level that it could, that it is today, where there's like a bazillion yeah, two piece yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I it was a particular show, Jack Black introducing them at. I don't know what it was. It was like MTV Music Awards or something. It was like it was this was like the coming out party for White Stripes when they were doing the full red and yeah, white thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the MTV Movie Awards. And I remember thinking, "Holy shit." You know, Jack Black, Dave Grohl, I mean, I know he wasn't he was somehow I think he was involved in that show. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking there was this whole connection. And it was definitely a side of me that thought, "Yeah, wouldn't that be funny if, you know, if if we were a different band, if we could have been in yeah. that." And I don't mean that I just mean that uh, because we had a point where we had a, a a legitimate label backing in the US you kind of you know you're always obviously you're not doing this you don't think you want to get get bigger and and greater but there's definitely a side of me which thought you saw that thing with the white stripes and I thought wow you know wouldn't that be cool if if what we had been doing could at least at very least become a one hit wonder wouldn't that be great luck and timing and preparedness right (laughs) yeah exactly I mean (laughs) it's just the way it works sometimes
1: but I think I think that 10 years ago you and I had a really interesting conversation about a new venture of yours and, um, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like after the inbreds ended, uh, well after, I suppose, I didn't know what what was going on, but you nerd that you were that went to Queens Mm. for whatever you went for, Mm -hmm. had this entrepreneurial spirit and you and I were talking about this thing called Zunior. And at the time, you know, I thought it was cool but I didn't really anticipate what you anticipated, which was the dawn of the digital music age. And here we are 10 years later. It's essentially all the rage, although interestingly, vinyl is the biggest it's been since CDs were first introduced into the market. It's amazing, yeah.
2: Would you have predicted that? I don't think anybody could have predicted that. <laughs> you know, you It makes me think of an of a interview I saw with Bowie years ago where he says the about how he, he felt like everyone, no matter what happens in the world with technology everyone's gonna always want to hold a piece of wood right no matter who you are where you are there's something about holding a piece of wood which is innate human experience everyone vinyl is that equivalent where musically it represents artwork it represents touch and feel and sound and physical element and as digital became or as they say cds and everything cassettes kind of went away which you predicted
1: I mean, I believe that is something you suggested at, at one point. When we, we we've had a few conversations about Zunior, and for those who don't know, this is uh, I think it was Canada's well, definitely for Canadian underground music. Correct me if I you know don't feel modest about this, but my understanding is definitely for Canadian underground music, it was the first real
2: digital retail space in this country. I think it was. I think it was in the sense that when we started. Uh, iTunes had just come out, but a lot of people didn't even know what it was, you know? In yeah. the sense that it was it was sort of so new. And you it were was, talking about the end of...
1: I think you were talking about the end of CDs, but you were also talking about how people would be listening on these mobile devices. You were sounding like Future Man in Future 2004. wearing tinfoil. Like, totally. You sounded yeah. like that a little bit, but I remember transcribing your quotes and like, let's see what happens. But you were totally on it, and you were totally right. I mean, again, this vinyl thing... Takes a little wind out of your digital record sales because people are now going the opposite route. But I mean, it's some weird combination of that piece of wood mentality and that piece convenience of, yeah. of
2: you know having the digital files. But anyway, I mean, has Junior been everything you wanted it to be? I think you know, like the thing about the thing with digital music that's so funny. Selling digital music, right? So it started as an it started because we had friends that were doing. Um, I'm trying to like good examples, like there was. So all the stuff that Don Kerr was doing at that time. Yeah. Um, he was recording and playing with a lot of bands. They couldn't... There was a time at that time, 2004, you could record an album, but you couldn't get it on iTunes. It was digital. You didn't want to press 1,000 CDs and spend 3,000 bucks. Yeah. There was no way to digitally get it on iTunes. And there wasn't really an easy way to put on your own website either. There was no way to do any... There was no band camp. There was no uh, SoundCloud. There was none of that, right? So... I wanted to put together a framework that would allow indie bands to actually s- kind of sell their own stuff, and right. that was sort of the the idea. So, but ultimately, even then and now, the challenge, of course, was that was just post Napster. So, right. uh, file sharing was was and is a reality. And today, it's I mean, but you know, streaming is its own thing. Mm-hmm. The reality is that. Um, You know, sometimes selling digital music is like selling bottled water in front of a freshwater lake or whatever, right? There's there's some people that don't want it, and there's people that want it for sometimes bizarre reasons, given that they could just walk up to the lake and stick a cup in and drink all they want, right?
1: Well, you were smart about it, though. I remember you making that analogy about how Microsoft at the time was making an error because they were trying to compete with free. I think you said something like that. And um, musicians and bands and labels had to figure out that you're not going to be able to win when you're competing with free. Mm -hmm. You've got to make... Make, make it, it worthwhile. Make, some kind
2: of, make something that's either convenient or has some kind of value yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And that, that continues today, maybe even more so. And you see all the ways that it's playing out it today. But, but I think ultimately the thing with digital music uh, that from a Zunia perspective that's been cool is just that it has, it has changed and there's been so many different bizarre things that have come. Advertiser-supported models, all these weird things that have come over the years. And we're still around. And there's been companies like PureTracks, I'm not even sure if they're still around. Yeah, a
1: lot of companies have come and gone. But so we're survived. still kind of here, we're yeah. still doing
2: our thing, and not everybody knows about us. And one of the things, you know, the 10th anniversary thing, part of it is the idea is kind of remind people that we're around and, 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 you know, all the things that we're doing, they show these projects, right? Yeah. Is part of that. But, but ultimately, it's just about, it's about saying that um, it, it may go back to the beginning of this podcast, the idea of, if you've got the spirit, you can just kind of do it. That's kind of what it was about. Because it was, w- when we started, we used open source software, which is, the in- I'm a software guy. It's like an indie rock version of software, uh-huh. meaning like any shmo, who has the desire, can patch together, a store online, that does whatever. And that time, you needed, That's you, the only way you could do it. Now there's a lot of different options that exist for, for ways to do it. But, but it was about leveraging that whole kind of the indie rock side of computing to make something that was, you know, again, like spirit over. We Because we only had, in the first version of Zoom, we only had about 10 bands, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the first records we put out properly was Mike's first, or second solo album, The Owl. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I still remember the, the, the way we had it set up was we got one review in the coast on the coast Hal, in, uh, in Halifax, and that day, I think we sold 60 copies, which was Zunior Platinum, right? <laughs> and, but, but everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh-oh. Selling 60 copies was a problem at that time because you couldn't, like everyone I got broke, one. I remember, broke down. And, I
1: remember wow. I downloaded the artwork and I think it worked okay, but yeah, I remember getting that. Yeah. So it, yeah. like the first thing I really downloaded probably. Nah, that can't be true, I downloaded stuff off Napster. Yeah. Rare, yeah. rare stuff, just yeah. like stuff that I Everybody bought. did, I yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> everyone did. All right. So we're at the 10th anniversary. It's, uh, it's, I'm glad to hear that it's still doing well. I wanted to ask you to, um, talk about some of your 10 favorite moments in the history <laughs> of Zunior. Things that stick out for you about your experience running this label and, and working with the bands you've worked with. Can you come up with 10 anecdotes? I happen to have
2: a few of them right here. Okay, good. Okay. Um, so, 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 one of the, I mean, it definitely probably is the number one. So we did this, um, one of the coolest things about Zoom Year has been a chance. That, for me, it's like it's like my, uh, what do they call those Zen sandboxes? You know, where you kind of, you put the little rake through and oh, you. yeah. I don't
1: know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Whatever. Like I just,
2: for me, it's my playground. I get a chance to do just weird shit that I can, I don't have to, th- I, don't, I can just do, what, do some things. I don't have to, uh, you know, clear it with anybody. I don't have to, you know, just do whatever I want. Right. So one of right. them was this. Rio Stacks were doing their final show. The Rio Stacks have helped us out a lot. I know tribute albums can be kind of uh, uh, predictable. There's a lot of them out there. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say that at the time, I think, I think we made a pretty good effort to get some legit bands that actually meant something to the hip, or sorry, t- sorry, the hip we meant something to the Rios, <laughs> <laughs> which is where I was going with that. Was all these different bands that have worked with them, similar to all these stories we've done with the Inbreds. There's all these bands that have helped the hip. Yeah, Help the Statics. helped the Rio static Helped the Rio Stacks. So um no wait who got the help from the rio statics right is that what you mean well no I, i'm i'm sort of uh my mind is jumping <laughs> It's jumping to the <laughs> just basically they had a, they had a final tour which was at massey hall final, final show. show yeah and they were um man poor they Martin, were just, martin's voice went out on that martin's show. voice went out yeah and i think that not unlike the 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 story of the uh some of those kind of final final things we do with the inbreds. I think that there was a lot of mixed feelings going on in that band. Yeah. So so we had the chance to I did this album which put together about twelve bands, including Sarah Harmer, including the Bare Naked Ladies, all these guys put doing Rios tunes. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make an effort to get bands that meant something to those guys. So had the chance to present it to them live on the air with Dave Bookman on the edge. And the fun, it was this the funniest reaction, giving it to them. One of them was just seeing the look on their face. Each of them, when they are about to do their last show, I think it was the night before the last show. Right. And so a lot of, again, mixed feelings. And I remember things like we're looking at, uh, it might have been Dave Bedini, I don't know, whoever. One of them, you know, they sort of, they turn over the t- The first thing they did was look at the back to see who was doing the song. <laughs> yeah. know they heard it. <laughs> which is probably what I would do or anyone sure. would do in that situation. They just say, okay, well, who, who actually did the songs, right? So they kind of do the rundown. And... In general, the, the, the reactions were just hilarious at that, so that was that was probably number one. That okay, was a, that was an interesting project that we did. All right. Okay. Um. Another one was, so Microsoft put out. We mentioned it before, but they put out a, a, a digital player called the Zune. Oh yeah, the Zune. Point. So, so we got advised uh, that we should copyright the name in case in case they tried to sue us. Or Zune, Zune, your digital music. It was at that time, Zune could have been your iPod in right. theory. If you would go back in time to 2006, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're talking Microsoft. Perhaps I think they might have been the biggest company in the world at yep. that time, bigger, way bigger than uh, Apple. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out that way. Of course, Zune. Nobody even knows what that is. Um, but Wired did a piece on this uh, kind of <laughs> this bit about the getting the copyright, which was which was pretty awesome. Nice. So that was kind of fun uh number three we're going through the list here so number one uh number three was the we did um this album called our power which was about solar power i remember talking uh, about residential this. solar power yeah. uh Gord did a song on that which was which was amazing you want some more beer dave no no nope um <laughs> and then um, i'm enjoying my shirley temple by the way it's a little bitter i don't know how much grenadine is in it but it's good. what is the combo by the way what is what? What is a Shirley Temple? Come remind me. It's it's
1: a it's, uh, it's just a non-alcoholic cocktail. Do you want some of
2: it? It's got like. What I do mean? What's what's in it? Like it's what's like the a
1: Sprite and orange juice and grenadine. Grenadine is the main. Yeah, I remember grenadine. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's I, I like them. It's got a nice good?
2: spice to it. I'm sorry. Spice.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like Shirley Temple.
2: So anyway, so this Our Power album was pretty good because it got pulled together a lot of. Um, like it was like b-sides and rarities from uh included we had um we had a that was sexsmith and kerr one of the first tunes i think maybe those guys had done at that time oh yeah that's right yeah gore did one figment lovely version of figment as i recall yeah yeah um okay and then uh we did we have actually tried some shows over the years and of course we got this you know the, the, uh, the Sandbanks New Waves show coming up which is on the 13th in right. Sandbanks we haven't done a show in a long time we did one at five years
1: no when you say we who are you referring to
2: uh, me basically and
1: your group is called oh, oh no, no no oh, oh Junior like, in general so we did oh, like, a, like
2: a kind of like yeah. a birthday show let's yeah. call it that yeah. but we did one when we were like I think one year and that was a show where we did it at the horseshoe it was Wax Manic and Scribble That Man Dave Clark's Mountainside Band oh, great band you might have been there I don't even know I might have been there, it sounds familiar. But um, that was the ch- a chance, so I'd done a, i had done a my I created like a band, which was me doing my own songs, which something I'd never really done before. This album, band was called Egger, and so it was the first and only show I've ever done as Egger was in the middle of that set, so Scribble That Man was kind of like the Egger band, and I just kind of stuck myself in the middle of their set, and... Now, that was really 10 years ago, or roughly 10 years ago. And that was the only time I've ever played a set where I was singing and playing guitar. Oh, wow. So.
1: It's that's a was rare kind of occurrence. So that's rare, cool.
2: Rare. So every year we do a charity album. We do a Christmas album. And the 2009 one was this tribute to Peanuts Christmas, which was pretty awesome. People still like that one a lot today. Like yeah, it's great. It pops up on my... Uh, Jill Barber, Wayne Petty. Good, good people on it. And ben, we, ben Gunning. Ben Gunning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben always does some wacky tracks. Yeah. But it was a song-for-song tribute to the uh, Peanuts Christmas album. Did the
1: Peanuts people hear about it? Are they aware that this happened? No. Okay.
2: I don't think they... they, (laughs) uh, I don't think we're on their radar. (laughs) (laughs) We also started a thing doing the... uh, We do a Boxing Day sale every year, which is definitely like... That's probably in some ways for Zoom. It's probably one of the biggest things that we do. It amazes me every year that people still kind of remember about it. Because every it's almost like a litmus test of are people still buying digital music in any form for any reason? Right. And when we do that sale every year, there's people that maybe, I'm going to say, might not buy a single album anywhere all year long, and they come back on that day, and they know it's there. It's what kind of sale is it? Just two for one. Two for one. Pretty much everything on the site. Okay. And people just, you know, now we, you know, and since we started, I think it didn't exist as social media in every form. Right. And now it's such an amazing way to just put the word out. People come in, and it was a tribute to, the sale was supposed to be like the Sam record man when I was a kid on Young Street. They had those amazing in boxes. Right, line up, Right. right. Sam, the record man, disappeared. So I always pitch this as us taking over the, trying to take over the torch. And right. So that's kind of what it was. Uh, so Stuart McLean. CBC personality
1: Stuart McLean is so, on Junior.
2: So somewhere along the line, uh, through our connection with outside music, we got connected with Stuart. And some, you know, Stuart's like, uh, what is he like? You like AC/DC? I don't know he's like so. Like you either like him or you don't. You know what I mean, right? I think Stewart is kind of this guy. Oh, maybe. maybe I, should, I shouldn't. Let me correct that. not you like him or don't you know him or you don't? Oh, I see. I see. Those who know him love him. Those who don't know him just don't know him. Right. Like I can't believe I'll walk into a room and I'll say that I'll talk about Stewart McClain. They just, I'm talking people. Well, people of all ages know him, but if you don't listen to CBC, you just don't know who Stewart is. He is arguably CBC Radio's biggest star. He is. Yeah. And the thing about Stewart is, he's surprisingly. Punk rock. He, he really is a, is a huge punk rock guy. Indie rock streak. He's an indie rock guy, but he, he, the way he lives his life to me is indie rock. I mean, he's he tours when he doesn't need to. He brings out young new bands when he doesn't need to. Um, he owns the rights to his own stuff, which yeah. he was smart enough to figure out. Yeah. And and we somewhere on the line he was he was cool enough to pick us to be his stores. So we be, so we don't really sell. We do sell some CDs. We've been a digital store, but um, when it, this was like eight years ago, we were whatever, we got hooked up to to be his sell his CDs and physical stuff. And for us, it's been he's been like a patron patron saint. Like we don't Junior doesn't really use hasn't traditionally used a lot of like factor or any government money. Yeah, yeah. But I look at Stewart as he's our patron saint. He's your benefactor. Ways. He really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, just by really just by of virtue it. of using us.
1: He's a good man. He he showed up on one of my old CBC shows to do a bit with me. And great like guy. he didn't have to do that. Everyone really in the office guy. was like, "Why did you? Why are you bothering Sir McLean?" I'm like, "No, he was totally into it." Anyway, yeah. he's a sweet guy. That's great
2: that he does that. Yeah, no, really. Good highlight there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, in 2006, we made these commercials, which was just funny because that was a online commercials, right? It was one of those things. It was a funny thing to do at the time. Scott Cudmore, who's gone on to do a lot of amazing uh, music videos and other stuff, commercials. Uh, was just getting started and, and he had, it was actually a connection through an Inbred's reunion show that we did a long time ago, he projected uh, nosebleeds, that was his thing at the time, His nosebleeds, <laughs> right, so it was like while we were playing it was nosebleeds going uh-huh. on the side, right, uh-huh. and anyway, he did a bunch of commercials for us which were really awesome and, and the one of them was Stars Martin Tielli. right? and so uh, that one seems to get the most reaction, it's just, you just gotta see it to get it, there's, mm-hmm. but be- completely they're bizarre they're still on YouTube right yeah completely bizarre up. and we've got links from the junior page or okay stuff, anyway. cool that's what we one. doing Zunior uh, label in general so inside the junior store we create a label and we actually put out every once in a while an album and we've done some ones that uh, I was thinking of it's on the way over one you know connection you have the, to Wax Mannequin right? yes right you have a good right. connection to Wax so we I put out one of the Saxon right so one of his uh, wonderful amazing
1: record. great record right yeah that guy's amazing. I got to tour with him.
2: I, I know. I was drums. thinking about it on the way over. I yeah. was thinking about you playing with Wax. I was thinking like how that 20, came to be.
1: Twenty-six shows in twenty-seven days, or something, across Canada, Western Canada, like thirteen shows in weird parts
2: of British Columbia that I didn't even know existed. So I've done all this stuff with Wax over the years, and I just really got a chance to spend some time with him <laughs> at Lanya Vanya two years ago. Whatever it was. Yeah. The Inbreds did a yeah, reunion show I, the there. the one year I didn't go. Yeah. And that, yeah. Th- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was. And it was. It was. You know, we. It's like we kept. Hanging out with with Wax, you know, it's great Chris, great
1: guy. He's an interesting, quiet, very thoughtful, manic but, fellow.
2: But He's we did, but we did a bunch of uh, a bunch of records. And ben Ben Gunning, Ben Gunning, um, Mal No, that's not the one you put out. You put out the first one. It was uh,
1: no, it was Mal De Mer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great record.
2: And Then like uh, Golden Seals, mm. Violet Archers, Granite Ida. So yeah, got. Was that's was a great label. Yeah, and. um... The last one actually is a weird one. I'm going to change. I have a list. I have a list that I'm looking at. Yes. I'm, going to, I'm going to change it and say that one of the things that came out at one point was e hmm And so I thought that uh, we had kind of like the just think, things that kind of come out of nowhere. One of the things I didn't mention here was albums over the years that have indie albums. One of them is The Weather Station. Yeah. The first, I think it might have been the first EP or the first album. Just completely indie, connected, put up in the site, sells, you know, not many, but then something will happen will trigger mega, like, well, whatever, like, again, Zuniar Platinum yes. sales. One yeah. of them was they got featured on NPR. Oh. And I always liked the weather station, but suddenly they got this feature and, and everyone kind of, you know, um, found out about them. And over the years, that's been amazing. Similarly, ebooks for us was this weird thing where we, it turns out that um, just down the road, my neighbor is this guy named Martin Popoff. Famous... Canadian, worldwide famous heavy metal writer, mm-hmm. does books about Deep Purple, Metallica. He's the he's the noted a guy for quite Rush. A, quite a neighborhood you live in. Yeah. What a very. <laughs> but he's a very he's a very low key, unassuming guy. And I never, never knew that this is what he did. And one time we're at a like a, a neighborhood kind of breakfast thing, whatever you want to call it, and he tells me what he does, and he says, Yeah, right He write. I write these books, and I did. He did. He does all this all these uh, amazing books about Judas priest then Lizzie and he's from Toronto across the street yeah Long cut to the chase we, we, he says he's thinking about ebooks I said let's put him out through Junior. so we put him out and for the last couple of years I think I think he's been our best-selling anything really good yeah. for you that's yeah. really and that's so, smart yeah and so that was ebooks go figure
1: Wow yeah so jr is this little mini conglomerate the small conglomerate if such a thing is possible yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. stuff going on yeah cultural yeah. hub
2: it's just I, I just like what I like is you just never know what's going what's going to be the next thing that that makes sense
1: you tend to know I feel like you have a prescient <laughs> streak in you you seem to know what's <laughs> let's make a because ten years ago you made some predictions can you make quickly some predictions I don't mean to say quickly but I don't want to I meant to say can you off the top of your head make a couple of Technological predictions in terms of how music music. will be consumed. Do you see anything coming that we should be aware of, Dave? Well,
2: it's the thing is is about streaming is just an inevitable uh, future trend in the sense that as I'll I'll say, like wireless streaming to wireless devices is something that's just inevitable in the sense that as um, storage. Nobody could predict how cheap storage became. So storage became thing was, well, how much can I fit on my phone? How much can I fit on my yeah. phone? And now nobody cares about that. Depending on the, how much plan stuff. do I have? Like how, how big is my plan? Or how how quickly? Or you know, even some of the ones. I was Spotify when you just was coming to Canada. There's a way in which you can kind of um, almost like buffer the songs on your phone, so it doesn't matter if you're connected and all this kind uh, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But versions of streaming are inevitable, and I have to admit myself that that I use. I use some of the streaming services to get what I call musical candy, right? Like RDO or something? Do you yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you want something quick and easy, I don't I don't bother with piracy because I can use RDO. But, I mean, that's a side note, which is a lot of the streaming services are basically like forms of piracy. Well, I mean, we just don't know it. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, don't it's know. It's still insidious. Nothing really gets back. I got
1: into RDO when my kid destroyed the... Uh the needle on my record he destroyed the stylus on my record player and i was broke so i didn't fix it for like nine months so i signed up for RDO just because i was missing out on some stuff that i only had on vinyl or whatever and i i was really amazed initially and i was just like putting like you know every michael hurley album was in, on on like all these weird things that i didn't expect because RDO just taps into distribution channels like yep. it's not and that's not, it's pretty remarkable if you have any kind of because you're, you're
2: leading me into my, what I would describe as definitely another trend, which is curation, right? Right. So, well, all I was so, going to
1: say though is I used it for a month, and then I got those internet war- internet usage warnings that I'd never wow. gotten before because I was streaming all that stuff.
2: That's one of them. I think this. Was, I found this situation where you can go in front of a streaming service, and it's a bit like walking in front of, you know, the ocean or the sky. Yeah. And you say, well, "What do I want to do?" There's there's everything possible in front of you, but you don't. When you when you grow up and you have five ten twenty records and you listen to those records one of them is Tres Hombres whatever you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you listen to it you know uh, you know there's there's sort of a connection that you have with that and one of the challenges when you're, you're a fifteen year old kid today and you've got access to everything under the sun um, you almost don't know where to start yeah. you know and so much of the way I learned music was through the connection points of so and so was in this band they mentioned that they, I read an article they were into that band and and you kind of, you have to, if you're really into music, you end up doing that journey. Mm-hmm. So, curation is like this definitely an, an important part of what appearing, I guess, with streaming or any music, where curation at one time meant reading Rolling Stone or Spin or yeah. whatever. yeah And now, even blogs, like, I mean, you see Chrome Waves, you know, like a lot of the blogs that exist, it's almost like an unsustainable model. So, a lot of that, and I'm sure you're living some of this yourself in yeah. terms of where writing and In music journalism um as a curation role plays this weird i don't i'm not sure where that's gonna go but all i know is we need it just like david bowie holding piece of wood we need curation and we need we need to have some way to um connect one piece of music to the next and that's what makes music personal right it makes us uh gives us that uh thing that you know because Everyone wants to discover music. You don't want to be told mm-hmm. the music, mm-hmm. you know, and, and discovery is 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 a huge part of it. And I think that those combinations, you know, there and as far but as far as supporting music, which is definitely being playing, having played music and done it for so long, like you see that there there are a lot of options out there now. Where like, there's no question when you were touring, you could actually sell a CD. It helped yeah uh, yeah it did there's no question and now I mean you know it's just a mixed bag of all these yeah. different things yeah. so the trends around physical stuff that's part of the reason vinyl is is what it is but vinyl from an artist perspective is um, and maybe you've experienced this too it's it's expensive as hell yeah, like it's way it. worse than yeah. you know but you can't like unlike like we started with the cassette analogy at the very beginning you can't just create one vinyl no you no, know? you've got to do a run, and that is expensive. a problem. Yeah, that is it's same, CDs were the same thing, but when CDRs came out, you actually opened up a bizarre mm-hmm. little sub-world. So, I, you know, I think that I think the trends of digital streaming, curation, you know, that is just going to keep kind of um, keep going. And what's really, you know, what's really bizarre is that the way that the major labels continue to find a way to survive, <laughs> kind of subvert all these different trends and one of them is curation the, the the fact the idea of beats being bought by um itunes and it's come out in the last couple of weeks that you know a major major portion of beats was owned by the major labels right so the major labels got their money back over and over like they keep well, they, they're not hiring anyone. There's nobody to work. I don't think that the number of people that work at major labels compared to what was yeah, is a fraction. Yeah. But as an entity, they continue to survive. It's amazing. And
1: they've also figured out ways to resell us the things we own by remaster- that's for sure. supposedly that's for remastering sure. things and, and all that stuff. Well, uh, what's coming up next for juniorcom generally? Is there anything, any news? You've mentioned a show.
2: So, so because it's the 10th anniversary, I, instead of just originally it's funny that we did the show because my whole thing was instead of doing a show I was going to do a collection of unique things mm-hmm. that are like tribute I guess you know kind of like tributes to art in every form so one of them is we do it with the indie rock cookbook we got, we've got um, recipes from everyone from Mike O'Neill to Old Man Ludicai to um, Tamara from Weather Station mm-hmm. and Then and then and then also we have um, the, the Tony Decker tribute album right which is I got Tony to do you know, sort of uh, a collection of songs released that came out through Zinger in the last ten years, done in the Tony style, and it turned out way better than I could have imagined. It's amazing, and uh, just just a neat little you know collection of stuff. And uh, then we've got a comic did you, book. Did you
1: pick the songs for him, or did he pick the songs?
2: Well, it started with I said do whatever you want, and he basically said, well, give me some you know, give me a starting point. So I gave him a list, and some of them were like Old Man Ludicai, the airport. Uh, wooden stars. Those are specific songs that I mentioned, but then he added some stuff, and it was sort of collab- the end result was a collaboration. But I think it's awesome because it sort of shows. Uh, I love that he did it in the Tony. That's my favorite style, yeah, is, which is the you know, because uh, it kind of brings a lot of times it brings like a different uh, weight to the lyrics, which is kind of neat.
1: It reimagines the songs in, in a way. That's really unique, and, and uh, yeah, it's really. And cool. to hear him in a
2: string like that, it kind of takes you back to some of those first great like Summer's records. Oh yeah, right? and,
1: and also like hearing him do a Cadence Weapon song.
2: Well, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I just I for me it was that nowhere because I don't know what his connection is with Cadence Weapon. I don't know if he has um, one. And he, he may yeah he may not. He just but likes the fact him. that he kind of picked that off and it, he does it, it a really the song cool turned version. out really well. Yeah. So what what about the sh- so you were saying you weren't so, um, yeah a show. working up to, so we ended up didn't, wasn't going to do a show And we ended up. uh... So I have this whole connection with Prince Edward County. I actually have a, I have, a, I have a place out there now, and we go out there all the time with my family. And so we decided to put together this uh, show with, with, a, with a friend of mine that lives out there. And, and the idea is that it's supposed to be like a new kind of Wolf Island, sappy fast kind of thing in, in hopefully over time, um, but this is the first year in to celebrate 10 years of the New Year, right in Sandbanks Provincial Park, right beside the beach. On this spot, that is a, uh, an amphitheater that's right there, and we're going to have, it's combining, you know, food, we got food trucks, we're going to have vendors, we're going to have uh, local winery, local beer, it's just going to be amazing, Cuff the Duke, Diana, um, Bri Webb, Hilo Zoas, Evening Hymns, right, so it's a collection of, kind of bringing it all together in a completely unique location, and, uh, I think it's, um, I'm just, you know, we, we've been, the reaction to the to the show has been really great. In the county, it's been really great outside the county. And, and for those that don't know what the county is, I mean, it's kind of, um, it's become this amazing kind of food, wine, culture spot. Where is it and, roughly? Uh, so it's basically, to me, part of the connection is Kingston. It's very close to Kingston. Right, so right. So it's kind of, uh, if, and if, a lot of people tend to know Sandbanks Beach because it is just this really nice, amazing uh, you know, gem in Ontario and uh, if you've never seen it a lot of people grew up and they kind of have memories of going to Sandbanks Beach mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but no just a, a really kind of uh, unusual spot to do something like this and it's, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be amazing
1: ok and what's the date?
2: September 13th and uh, you can buy the tickets at sandbanksnewwaves.com
1: ok Dave is there a song by I think we should play something from Tony's thing should we play some, a song from it to go out on? play at the
2: airport because uh, that's to me you know again doing Zunior Old Man Ludica is one of those guys I would have never ever found out I don't think I would have unless I was doing Zunior and it was one of those ones that came up and I remember this this banjo playing guy I've always been a kind of a banjo fan yeah East Coast right and I heard this this tune at the airport and the lyrics are just that's the thing about all of his songs
1: Old Man Ludica is a great song I love the
2: songs my kids love the songs everybody loves the songs but that's like the first song his first album First, new to me, and so it's appropriate it's first song in this record. And I just, I think that that's kind of his gift, is kind of bringing together these these really cool stories, little vignettes. It's amazing. All right, let's hear it. This is Tony Decker
1: doing an Old Man Ludica song called At the Airport. There's a ambulance or something, which is a good place for us <laughs> to leave, I think, because there's some kind of emergency. Dave, thank you so much for your time. And thank you, Visha. I All wish right. you the best of luck with everything. Great, thank you.